Well, good morning. So wonderful to see everyone here in person and you at home. Nice to see you too. Uh, we are beginning today the book of Romans, the letter that changed the world, part one. Our eight weeks winter series will cover the essentially the first five chapters of, of the letter, uh, and we will then take a break, and we'll have a series that leads into Easter uh, on the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, as they're known, the, the Pentateuch, a survey of the Torah. After Easter, we'll return in the springtime for part two, uh, which we will work our way through chapter seven. Uh, this is all in your bulletin, by the way. You'll see in the bulletin an outline for today's message and, and an outline of this, of this rather long series that's been spread out. So that's parts one and two in 2022. And then we have to wait till next winter for part three. Uh, we will kick off next year exclusively in chapter eight of the book of Romans. Part four will be chapters 9 to 11 in that spring, and then, Lord willing, we will finish in 2024. So let's take our time. We're going to just let it breathe. Uh, again, that's in your bulletin, uh, and I hope that you would uh, avail yourself of that. And you'll also see in today's bulletin, for those who of the uninitiated, in the bulletin, it's also available online and on our app, the small group questions. Today's the, the first uh, week of, of the... Um, eight-week winter series of small groups. And so if you're not yet in a small group, come by the next environment, see uh, David. You can get signed up for a small group. You can use that material uh, that's included in the bulletin or online, those questions on your own study, for family devotions, or in small group uh, as we go through this amazing book. And let me just uh, say a couple words about why we switched from using uh, the NIV, uh, the New International Version, which is what we commonly use, uh, to the ESV, the English Standard Version. Why do we switch it up sometimes? Uh, and we've done that three times. This will be the third time. Uh, when we did the long series in Revelation, uh, we used the ESV translation. Last uh, uh, year, we used uh, also the ESV when we had the little booklets for the book of Ephesians, uh, which covered the first half while I was still here and then went on sabbatical, and the second half during the summer. And now Romans. Why? Well, first off, these uh, ESV journal guides that you have, hold, your hand, hold it up if you have one, if you're looking at them. They're very, very handy. There you go. On one side is the scripture. On the other side, a blank page with lines. Wonderful for note-taking, getting the most out of this series. And as we go along, I'll, I'll prompt you for, for notes, for things to underline or circle. I would encourage you even for uh, key and important scriptures to copy that out. That's a way of, of helping to memorize and really put it in your heart. Spoiler, verses 16 and 17, worth writing down, worth remembering. And you can refer back to those notes. So those are very helpful. They'll be helpful in your small groups and your own study. Second reason, the NIV, which is a wonderful and fantastic translation, is known as a dynamic equivalence translation of the Bible. That is to say it's a thought-for-thought -thought translation. The translators emphasize readability and accessibility of the text. You know, sometimes they impose their interpretation on it to make that text a little bit more readable. In a way, they're doing the work that, that I'm trying to do from the pulpit. This is what it says here. It's a little hard to understand. Here's what we think that uh, the author means. And so the NIV helps that 
here's the thoughts. Maybe not exactly the words, because it can be kind of clunky from one ancient language to a modern language, but here it is to make it more accessible and readable, and yet sometimes there is an imposition on the translation. The ESV translators emphasize literal translation. They're going to put the, the, the weight of their time on a word-for-word translation. And so both are very readable, both are great, and the best translation of the Bible is the one that you're actually reading often and regularly. But ESV is more word-for-word, and, and it can be, sometimes the, the language can be uh, archaic, which is an old word, means old-fashioned. Why didn't I just say old-fashioned instead of archaic? Well, because that's what I said. I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example. Look at verse 14. We're going to read the text in just a moment. In the ESV, verse 14, it refers to barbarians. When's the last time you used the term barbarian? That's sort of a barbarian. The NIV helps us out. It says non-Greeks. But in the original 2,000-year-old text, it says barbaros. That's the, the word that Paul uses. And so there might be some words that need some help in understanding, but we're going to stick with uh, a, a more literal translation. We're going to stick with these booklets. You can also find those online. With that aside, let's read God's word. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Listen now to God's word. It'll be on the screen as well. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his, his prophets, In the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in the power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The letter or the epistle to the Romans was written by the Apostle Paul in AD, uh, AD 57, thereabouts, from Corinth, Greece. 
as he was preparing uh, to go forth for his third mission trip. And you can read about that in the book of Acts chapter 20. This wasn't his first or his last letter, but it is the longest and most consequential. And it changed the world. Christianity is, is the most enduring, influential legacy of the ancient world and the most transformative development in Western history. And it's due in large part to what we are about to study. In Luther, Martin Luther's translation of uh, the New Testament into German, so Germans could read God's word in their own language for the first time ever. He wrote in the preface of the New Testament, this is the most precious piece of the New Testament, the book of Romans. Let, let me tell you why he, why he wrote it, why Paul wrote it, what its purpose was, and how it changed the world, and, and why its purpose and its content is still relevant and still changing the world and has a life-changing impact for you and I today. Rome, the capital city of the world-shaping empire. Take New York, Paris, Tokyo, and Shanghai, roll it all into one, and you sort of get a sense of what, what Rome was about. Dozens of languages spoken in the streets, the greatest sports arenas known to mankind, art, pagan temples, great wealth, even greater poverty and disparity between the two, and the most insane, excessive indulgences that make uh, many blush to hear of what was happening in Rome. And in the midst of that city, there was a church, a gathering of the saints following Jesus. It was a mixture of, of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. Now, Paul had never visited, and as I mentioned before, he, he wanted to raise some support for his mission trip. He was hoping to get all the way to Spain. He was also taking a collection up uh, among the, the Greek Christians in the area of Corinth who were relatively wealthy. He was taking a, an offering from them on the way to Jerusalem to help poverty-stricken Christians in Judea. So he also wanted to raise support. Our missionaries want to raise support. How do they raise support? Get the word out. Please pray for us. And if you uh, could, could lend a little support financially, they would receive that as well. So these are some of the behind-the-scenes reasons for Paul's visit to Rome. Paul's purpose also was to address the, the boiling tensions within this faith community, even spilling out so much so that it was dividing the church. The, the crisis for this church began when the Roman emperor Claudius expelled all Jews from the city of Rome. Five years later, they were allowed back in, including uh, the Jewish followers of Jesus who had been part of this church. It, it had been their home. It had been their church. They're gone for five years. And when they came back, they found a new church that had become very non-Jewish in its practices and customs and even teaching. So imagine here we are uh, in, in this period of time of two, two years coming into our third winter of COVID. Folks are watching at, at home online. When you eventually come back, imagine coming back to a church you do not recognize. A lot can happen in five years. There was a culture clash between those that had remained those that were from a, a Gentile, a non-Jewish background, and those returning with Jewish uh, nationality and, and bloodline. 
And so it was racial in nature, these divisions. It was political, and it was theological. So Paul, one of his purposes is, yes, to raise support, raise awareness, but it's also to call the church to unity in the midst of division. Can we relate to that as a church? Can we see that even across our country? How relevant this is today. How did this letter change the world? And it's still changing the world today. One simple word, gospel. The gospel. Luther also wrote that uh, in, the, in his translation of, of, of the, the Greek into German, he wrote of Romans, quote, it is the purest gospel, the purest expression of God's good news. In one book, the fullest expression of Paul's theology draws together almost the entire Bible story in one. The meaning and message of the Old Testament, sin and law, judgment, grace, faith, election, justification, the plan of salvation, but the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, the Christian hope, good works, the, the nature and life of, of Christian community and the church in the world, the, the duty of Christian citizens, ethics, it's all packed into these 16 chapters. It spells not only the good news of, of how you are saved by God's grace alone, how God makes sinners righteous, but it also spells out the precious gift that keeps on giving the new life that we have and relationship we have through Christ and living out this new power every day that produces a, a deep rewiring, like a, like a reprogramming we would use in more uh, common uh, terms these days. Behavioral change, habits formed and shaped and changed by this message. Even more than that, character change that impacts not only the individual, the family, the community, the city, the nation, in regard to Romans, the entire empire. So let's get into it, and please look with me again at the greeting, verses 1 to 7. And, and folks, we're going to run into this time and time again. Uh, I could do four sermons just on these seven verses. There's so much packed in here. So I'm trying to balance a series that is very lengthy, uh, probably 30-some-odd sermons, yet at the same time uh, get as much as we can out of each Sunday that we're together. Paul introduces himself, saying that he is a servant, that is, doulos, he is even a slave to Christ. Every Christian, like Paul, like you, has a master, has a Lord. Right out of the gate, he says, his Lord is Jesus and he says that he's an apostle, an apostolos, a sent one. He says he's been commissioned by Jesus with, with authority. And we see this repeated, this type of greeting throughout many of his epistles, just sort of laying the groundwork. Let me give you my credentials. Let me let you know who I am. Paul starts with humility. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. I'm here to serve Jesus. Oh, and by the way, he's also commissioned me and sent me and inspired me to write these words to you. Paul had left his old life, a life of great position and power and prestige, for a new life called to share this news, good news. Something has happened. God has done something 
that needs to get out. It's not a philosophy. It's about a person and it's about a happening. And he's eager to share this message and its meaning. And then he gets into deep theology, and this is where we can really relish in the text here so deeply, but, but he's already beginning here to spell out the themes that we'll see throughout Romans. I'd encourage you to start now even taking notes, underlying key phrases, circling key words, because you'll see these, these very verses played out in the, in the length of the text. So he speaks about the descendant of King David, the son of God. He's already going to be speaking to this in, in chapters uh, 3, 4, and 5 of, of Jesus being the king and Messiah, the one that was promised by his life, death, and resurrection. And he's why we are all here and you're there today. He says he's obeying the Lord, called by, by Jesus, and, and that it's a calling also to the church to take this news to the nations of the world. Which would make sense. Here he is in Greece, on his way to Rome, on his way, hopefully, to Spain, where he never gets to. The greeting ends with a pastor's touch. I'll quote it to you. He says, quote, To all those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, what a wonderful pastoral touch. Let me tell you how, how God sees you, and how I see you. He says, loved by God, called to be saints, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul often gets a bad rap. People think of the Apostle Paul as a curmudgeon, old meanie. Very, very much the opposite. Yes, he's passionate, brilliant, genius theologian, the greatest of all time. And yet, there's, there's time again we will see a pastor's touch, a care, already trying to build uh, rapport through the writings of the introduction because he's going to have some very challenging things for this community that's really, really struggling. That's the greeting. Let's look at verses 8 to 15. Uh, Paul again continues with this encouraging word. He longs to see them. Just underline, you can even note just the pastoral phrases you see. Longing to see them, encouraging them. He's been held back. He, he, he wants to go deeper with them. You can talk about this with your small group. What is it about, about Paul that we can glean from these phrases? Then he writes, say, thanks God for these saints, quote, because, quote, your faith is proclaimed to all the world. What an encouragement to, for this church to hear from the greatest apostle. Oh, people know of you. Your reputation is known near and far. Paul prays for them regularly. It's the heartbeat of a pastor to pray for the people. Can't wait to see them. But I want you to notice one thing in this section, verses 8 to 15, that really jumped out at me. He, he says, I want to impart spiritual gifts to you. I want to teach to build up your faith. But then jump down to verse 13. And I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll say a verse number with a letter. Say verse 13b. That means the second half of the verse. So part A would be 13a would be that first phrase of the first part of the line. But when I say 13b is sort of the second half. Look at it with me. It's a, he writes, quote, In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Their faith is well known. They're saints. They believe in Jesus. They're, they're, they're a church. If Paul says here in his opening comments, not only does he look forward to to preach to them that, that those that are not 
part of the church, the unchurched might hear the gospel, but that they too would hear the gospel again and be refreshed and encouraged, and therefore then charged with going with that message into their own vocation. So they want, he, he wants them to hear it and be built up and sent out. And the, the note that I took here is this. We never outgrow our need for the gospel. Look around this room, and I know especially in the first service, there were a number of people who came up to me and said, I've studied Romans many, many times, Pastor P. I went through BSF. I've, I've done this. This is great. And they also would say, I look forward to studying it again. There's just more that we can soak in. There's more that, that can be revealed. There's more insights that God would have for us. And Paul knows that too. So he says, I hope I reap a harvest among your neighbors, your friends, people in your community, but also right here in this church of Rome. Now, the last two verses for today are the most important to hear again, and it is the theme of the whole book, the whole series, here contained in two verses, verses 16 and 17. So as I read it again, i like you to circle the word for or because, those are it's a key word, uh, a word like for, because, but, therefore, those kind of transitional words help to connect things. Underline key phrases. As I mentioned before, copying scripture helps to sort of, that tactile nature of writing the word helps to get it implanted into our heart. And one final uh, word about taking notes. I'd encourage you to, whenever there's a reference to the Old Testament, to put some type of symbol or asterisk and then make the, write the reference down. I may uh, remember to, uh, to tell you what the reference is. The reference here is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But I might forget. And so it's on you to figure it out, to find it in your own study Bible or online or in the small group. What was that reference that Pastor Pete made? There was some scripture. They put an asterisk, figure it out on your own. Paul makes over 60 references to the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Old Testament. But more than he references the Old Testament in, in any of his other writings. And so there'll be much to glean and much to dig in uh, to get you through all of Scripture as we also experience in the book of Revelation. Okay, so let me read it to you again, verses 16 and 17. Let's read this together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For, for it is... For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And there's that reference to Habakkuk. Paul's eagerness to preach the gospel is because of its powerful plan of God to rescue everyone who believes and trusts in him. In their day and our own, uh, people might think that this message is foolish, made-up, fanciful stories. They might say it's outdated, old-fashioned. They might be so bold as to say it's dangerous. It might make you and I feel guilty to believe it, to read it, to repeat it, to even post about it. Paul says, I'm proud to proclaim it because it is true. Calm and crazy, say what you want. He knows it's saving power. You don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed, but to be proud. What an opportunity. Why? Because the gospel is power, freeing power, reconciling power, 
the power of love. The gospel changes everything. Right here in the opening of, of this whole series, I want to lay that out to you. The gospel changes everything. And then notice he says, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. Okay, he's already setting the table. He's setting that table of what he's going to address, those divides, those issues between Jewish and non-Jewish believers. He's going to spell this out, and we're going to see it in chapters uh, 5 and 6, really spell it out. Well, actually, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, this division of the church, he's going to explain the position, the histor- history of salvation for the Jewish people, and then where we as Gentiles fit in. Verse 17, for, or because, God's way of putting people right in right standing before him. How we get righteous means how do we, how do we get right with the Lord? How, how does our life make sense to us in the proper order of a creator and creation? Not that we're all one oneness of one bit of stardust, but no, there is a creator and creation. Where do we find ourselves in relationship to our creator? It's to be made right with him. It's also the righteousness of God is God's character, his holiness and justice. So both being right with God and understanding who God is is revealed to us in this good news. It's exhibited to us. We can experience it by trusting and believing in Jesus. And this is absolutely key. This verse changes the most lives. It has changed the most lives on the course of Western history. The message that the perfection and and holiness and righteousness of God has been seen in the life and death of Jesus Christ, the right relationship is offered to us as a free gift. And we think, oh, okay, Pastor Peter, I get it. I've heard about God's grace. But imagine reading this for the first time, never before heard, the free gift of God's grace to you is the power that he writes of, this precious gift. And it's not only about going to heaven, it's a gift that can be enjoyed in life. Paul will spell that out. From faith for faith, meaning we're we're made right with God by faith in Jesus, but then we continue to live by faith, live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we started our series, Receiving the Holy Spirit. We started the year off talking about what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is going to spell out in this great book of Romans. And then the quote from the Hebrew Scriptures. Which book was it, class? Habakkuk, that's right. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul's saying, I'm not sharing with you anything that's brand new. From cover to cover, it's always been faith. And he'll spell that out in the example of how Abraham came to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Yes, Paul isn't ashamed at all, nor should we be. We should be eager to share this good news. Even though this message is rejected by both the most immoral and the most moral of people. The most immoral of people say, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? You're so self-righteous. You're so, I can live however I want to live. Who are you to tell me anything? I'm a master of my own world. Leave me alone. I've got one life to live. And I'm a spiritual person. That's leads to all, all one side. But also, that's an immoral way of living. But the most moral people also are offended. 
Who do you think you are? Who gives you the right? I live a good life. I pay my taxes. I have a good job. I take care of my family. I'm not like those kind of people. I deserve better. And you're telling me that it's a free gift? Who do you think you are? And in the middle is the message of the gospel. A message that offends the most immoral and the most moral. It offends the younger brother, the prodigal son, who flees his father's house and tries to win favor by saying, okay, dad, I'll work for you. I don't have to be your son anymore. Just give me a paying job. And the older brother, who won't come back inside, is the gospel. The most important purpose of Paul's life, his his very existence, was to share this message of hope. I've I've preached through Romans twice so far, in my 30s, 40s, and now in my 50s. So I, uh, when, when I finished seminary, I was ordained in Sherman, I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was 30 years old. And about age 32, we started uh, the book of Romans. And then when we moved to Maryland, uh, we, we went through the book of Romans. And it's so interesting, I went back over my notes for the first sermon thinking, oh, maybe I can glean something. I just, it was worthless. I just tore up like, this is, who is this guy? Who, what, is this, what is he saying here? Church, I know from experience, gospel power brings church revival. We've seen it in Minneapolis and in Maryland, and we need to see it here in Maple Valley. Gospel power brings church revival. And so I'm so excited that we are beginning this series today. All that matters is putting trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And someone's saying, Pastor, just give me the list of things to do. Just give me the one, two, three. And it's always going to be the same. Ultimately, trust in Jesus. Believe on him. And everyone, regardless of their identity, ethnicity, social class, are welcomed, welcomed to come and hear and see I invite Brian and Lori and Julian and the team to come up and as they get set up for our closing song, I just want to conclude by rereading uh, verses 11 and 12 and just saying a final word, prayer, and then we'll, we'll close. This is a pastor's heart here. Pastor's heart for people he's never met. I want to read it again as a, a pastor's heart who, who knows you pretty well but hasn't seen all of you for a long time. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And that's my prayer, beloved, that we would be mutually encouraged because we both need help. If you think you don't need help, you really need help. I know I need help. And this is part of that, that mutual encouragement. And we have the opportunity to strengthen your faith, to make it stronger, but you'll be doing the same thing for this, those of us that are here on stage. We need each other, church, now more than ever. The word gospel comes from the, uh, from the Greek euangelion, 
Uh, imagine a far-flung battlefield where the emperor wins the decisive battle. Victory is his. There will finally be peace in the land. He would send his arrows, his uh, angelios, with the news. Good news. You, that preface to the word, you, Angelion, good news. He would send them, and they'd start running in their sandals, 26-some-odd miles if they had to, announcing the news. There's great news. Our king is victorious. Our enemy is defeated. Peace has now come. He reigns. He reigns supreme. That was the message that would be sent forth. And you and I have the opportunity to share this message to go forth. My passion is communicating the unchanging message of the gospel to an ever-changing world. To help grow disciples who make disciples. That is our commitment as a church. And I'm so delighted that we have the opportunity to see what God will do in and through this gospel-driven, spirit-filled, Bible-based, Christ-centered community of faith. Amen? Amen. Bless you.